I didn't know where to go on the title this morning, so Mike was helping me earlier, and he said we should have titled it, He Woke Up. Which is right, because Ahab finally woke up. But uh, instead, my wife said, that didn't sound good, so we went with Desire Goes Before Greed. Because that sounds more like a sermon title than Mike's words. <laughs> desire Goes Before Greed. What is it that you desire? Don't answer that out loud, please. But think about it. What is it that you've desired so much that you've begun to become greedy for? And what is it that you've got so greedy for that you're willing to cross any line to get? And some of you right now are thinking, man, I've been that desirable. I've been that greedy. I've even crossed that line. And if you're honest with yourself, what you're thinking right now is it wasn't worth it. Because you don't like the way it just made you feel just by that just now, you know, just that sentence just now. You aren't happy about the emotions and the and the, the little adrenaline or whatever you want to call it that started shooting through your blood when we started discussing that. So some of you have already learned this lesson the hard way. Some of you are about to learn it the hard way. Some of you are going to have to relearn it because you're knuckleheads and you got to relearn everything a couple times, right? You know, another way you can look at this chapter, not, not to get to the end yet, but, but just look at what is it that makes you joyful? Because see, Ahab thought this was going to make him joyful. When in reality, it breaks him. But who ends up joyful at the end of this thing is the Lord, because there's only one thing that makes the Lord joyful. Dot, dot, dot. Now you got to pause and wait to the end of the sermon for that one. All right? Let's jump into this thing. Uh, Jeremiah just read verse 1. It starts with just a simple real estate transaction. You know, we just ended some wars last chapter, and and things are, are kind of looking up for the for the area, and, and kind of still in disarray or whatever, but... But you can picture Ahab, he just got back from these battles that, that he won only because God won them. You know, he didn't deserve to win. He didn't do anything to win. God just gave him some grace and God just gave him some mercy. So, so he gets back at his, at his, at his other palace. I don't know if you guys call it that location has changed. So this is kind of, you could call it like his winter palace. You know, so, you know, he's got him. Some of you are rich enough to have some of those and the rest of us normal folks, you know, we don't know what that's like. So we just envision it. Uh, but you, you got that, that winter palace and, and he gets to his winter palace and he's walking up and down the hallway and, and he's chilling out and thinking about, you know, the battle and he's probably thinking in all honesty, I don't know this, but he's probably thinking how in the world did God and why in the world did God just do what God just did? You ever notice how quickly we can go from a mountaintop back down into another valley? That's Ahab, man. He, he's like on a, it doesn't make sense to any of us because we don't have the same kind of grace and mercy the Lord has. But God just poured out so much grace and mercy on him. He's, he's on a mountaintop again. He's won these battles. He's feeling good and he should be. But, but, what'd you say earlier? The devil will get you like when you, when you're, when you're in a weird moment. He's in this moment. He don't even know what this moment's like, I don't think, because he hasn't. Remember, up until now, he, there's been no repentance. There's been no real relationship with God. He's just been blessed, even though he doesn't deserve any of it. It's complete grace, right? So, so he's in this moment that he doesn't understand, and he looks out his window while he's pacing up and down the hallway, probably thinking about this thing, and he sees this vineyard. And his first thought about this vineyard is, I want it. I want that. You know, I've got so much stuff already, but all this stuff isn't making me happy. He saw the one thing that wasn't his, and he wanted to pursue it. And he actually does it in a good way. I'm going to give him credit all, you know, for a lot of what he does. Then we're going to diss him a little bit. Then we'll give him a little more credit. I mean, this is going to call it like it is, right? So he does it the right way. He comes down from his, his little 
hallway and palace looking out the window. And he, who knows how many days or how many weeks or how many months he brewed over this, this, this vineyard. And he goes down and he talks to the owner of it. He goes, hey, man, I've been looking at this thing. And it's so close to my palace. I want to turn it into a vegetable garden. And, and I'll give you either another piece of land that you pick or, man, if you don't even want another land, I'll buy it from you. Like, I will write the check right now. No big deal. I will give you what it's worth. And before I get into to this guy's response, I, here's here's point number one. You can only get this and give ends, right? Animals and this. Point one, don't settle for a vegetable garden. I'm serious. Write point one down. Stop settling for a vegetable garden. Now, here's what you need to understand. You know, we, 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 I had a rule growing up and, and I passed that rule on to my children. I think some of you may have heard. If you're a B student, stop settling for C's. If you're an A student, stop being okay with B's. Now, if you're thinking, I'm not in school, thank God. No, apply it to you too. You know what I'm saying? Like, apply it to you too. Stop settling for stuff that you're not supposed to be settling for. And if you're wondering where I'm getting this, here's what you got to check out. What does Ahab want? We just said he wants a, a vineyard. What do you know about vineyards? I mean, you don't even have to know a lot to, to, to get this big thing. What is it? They bring wine. What are your parents, alcoholics or something? Gee. It's a biblical wine. Right? Jesus drank wine. <laughs> Everybody's going, all right, what else about a vineyard, though? How about anybody ever, anybody ever got a vineyard? Nobody? You got grapevines? Did they shoot up after you planted them and had grapes the next year? They didn't? How about the next year? So you tell me it's more than two years? What? Like more than three years? Hold on now. You had a grapevine. And you just looked at that grapevine for a year and it didn't do nothing. You looked at it for another year and it didn't do nothing. And another year and another year and somebody cheated and read on Google and they knew it took five to seven years. So you did this for like five to seven years, depending on the type of grape. Because some of them is actually 10 to 15. And you just looked at that thing, nothing. But what's it do now? Every year, you said. It, no, it really, it should be every year. If not, you got deformed grapes, right? If not, Google was wrong. Maybe Google was wrong this time, right? I don't know. <laughs> Here's the thing. So it takes that long to get it, but after it gets there, you get it every year. Now you got to picture this scene now, because if you don't picture this, you don't get lesson one about don't settle for, uh, don't settle, don't settle for uh, a veggie garden, right? He's got this vineyard that's taken years to develop. It's a beautiful vineyard. So I'm imagining his took even more years to develop. It's a large area. Why else would a king want it? This is a massive, awesome thing, right? That took years to develop. He wants to bulldoze it and put up a vegetable garden. Any of you guys ever did one of the vegetable gardens? You know, a little tiller, throw some seed. You thought it was going to be cool. You thought you were going to eat off the land and never go to the grocery store again. And Right? Right? You've done that? How long did it take your crop to produce? <laughs> okay, hold on. If you didn't have a black thumb and you didn't get a crop, for those of you that at least produced something other than weeds, how long did it take you to get something? A month or two. 
30, 60 days, and some crops take up to 90 days as far as for, for this area, right? Why is it that we will destroy something that takes years to get that is worth way more for the instant gratification of something that takes a month or two? You see what he's doing? And then you got to redo it again and pray that you don't get a black thumb like Cliff. Right? Or... <laughs> Now, now here's what, here's what I, I want you to say. There's nothing wrong. Don't don't get this point. There's nothing wrong with a veggie garden. But when you've got a vineyard, there's something wrong with settling for a veggie garden. All right. So you get just just just, just that that obvious illustration of it. Okay. Makes sense to everybody. This thing goes even deeper now. If you were to study and really think about this, especially if you were these people when they when they were slaves back in Egypt, what did they have? Oh, no, they had something. They had veggie gardens. Check it out and study it. They had a lot of gardens. They were gardeners. Right? That's when they were slaves in Egypt. And this guy wants to go back to that. Why is it that we want to go back to something God's called us from? Yeah. Or we get this thing because you need to check this out now because here's what, here's how the Lord said about the promised land. He said, I'm not just going to give you a veggie patch. I'm going to give you a whole promised land, right? Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10, it says this. For the land that you're about to enter or occupy, however your translation has it, is not like the land of Egypt. What he's saying is, I don't want you to treat this promised land the same way you treated the land when you were a slave in Egypt. And the first thing this want, this guy wants to do, he's ready to settle for less than what God had called him and given him. And bless him. And I think a lot of us do that. I think a lot of us are settling and we're ready to go back and we've allowed greed to cloud our thinking and we get short sighted and we're willing to settle for veggie gardens. Right. Too many people and I'm getting past the garden. OK, too many people are willing to sell themselves short of what God wanted for their life. Think about it. I want to challenge the people of God. So if you're one of them today to come to a higher, higher in your walk with God. To quit being stagnant in your walk with God and to realize I can always be teachable and I can always be elevating myself to go up and up and up in my relationship with the Lord. To get more and more kingdom minded every single day instead of stopping and reverting and going back to what was comfortable for me. You know, in the truth, I really don't think the guy could have handled the vineyard. I don't think he could. I don't think he knew anything about it because he didn't know nothing about it. He got scared. How many things in this book you don't know nothing about and you get scared of so you just stay away from it? You want to know why so many churches stay stagnant and, 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 and are either either the same as they've always been or even reverting and going back? It's because they're afraid of stuff they don't know and are not allowed to investigate it or not bold enough to investigate it. So they just begin to settle and get comfortable and revert back. God says, man, I'm calling you to something so much more greater than you even have an idea about. Right. He was willing. Now, here's the thing. Stay, stay, stay back to the story real quick because this next lesson comes fast. He was willing to trade the land. He was willing to pay for it. He was willing to even, I, I personally think, and a lot of, a lot of people who study this would believe, it, it was a good deal for this guy. Like, he was willing to pay full price. He wasn't shortchanging him none. This is a real thing. But verse 3, the owner of the land responds. Naboth's response. For the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now what are we finding out about this land? This land was an inheritance. Now what do we find out about this man's attitude 
toward this land. Leviticus 25, 25, it says the land shall not be sold for the land is mine. Who says that? Oh, the Lord. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, you might think you own a lot of stuff. You don't own nothing. I'm going to tell you, you don't own nothing. You don't own jack squat. Some of y'all so proud of your bank accounts and how much land you got and the house you got and the cars you got. All you are is a steward of them. And you can either be a good steward of it or you can be a bad steward of it. Right? This is, this is what their mindset, at least this guy's mindset. I believe this guy was probably personally, you know, I don't think those 7,000 kept being mentioned for two chapters for no reason. I think Naboth was one of the 7,000. Remember the Lord told Elijah, he says, man, you thought you were alone. I got 7,000 loyal people. I've counted them. I've counted them. Now, you guys who think, oh, numbers are nothing, pastor. Why is the Lord always counting them? You know what I'm saying? Let's just be honest. When we say numbers are nothing, that's for weak-minded people who are ashamed of their numbers. Call it like it is, right? Let's be honest about it. How much you make? Oh, it don't matter what you make. And then you're ashamed of what you make. Am I honest? Numbers. They work both ways. The Lord thought enough to count these people out and figure out exactly how many I got left. And Naboth was one of them. And he was so dedicated and so following this principle that he realized something all the way back from Leviticus and Numbers. And there's a lot of other chapters that, you know, you can draw lessons from this thing. Right. But it was this land's never really sold. In this country, it was leased. It it was let alone, but it's never. So if you want to open a real estate business for God's sake, don't go down there and open one. Right. You'd be in a heap of trouble. Now, ask yourself this. Do I have a Naboth attitude? Do I have this guy's attitude? And here's what I mean. This guy made a decision not based on a business decision, but based on biblical principles. Are you willing to make your decisions that way? Are you willing to make the decisions of your life for yourself, for your family, for your bank account and for your time and everything else? Not based on business decisions, not based on what's good for you in the world standard, but based on biblical standards. His commitment to God was greater than his commitment to some worldly king. Now, where do we rank on that? And some of you are thinking, yeah, but at the end, it cost him his life. Yeah, but I bet he could stand before almighty. Not have no regrets. You know what I'm saying? I I, I bet personally, I I think when Hebrews chapter 11 is written, you guys know Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to read a little bit of it, uh, 32 through 37. But I think when it was written and it's got that one little line that says, and more, more, more than these that I write about right now, I bet Naboth was one of those more than. You know, a couple of them get their name listed, right? And a couple of them just become the more than. I, I think this guy was one of them. Here's what it says. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to even tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson uh, and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. Those who faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword. Let's think about them flames. You know, you talk about being outnumbered and stuff not being fair to you. You remember those three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they, they refused to bow before a king and they got thrown up in that in that fiery furnace? You remember he looked in the fiery furnace and what did he say? He goes, I, I thought we only put three in, but I see four. You notice the Lord didn't show up until they got in the fire. Right? Some of y'all wonder, when's he going to show up? you got to get yourself in a fire before he's going to show up sometimes. Some of y'all will never get to see the power of God and you'll never learn some of the lessons these people have been talking about this morning because you'll never put yourself in a situation where you need the Lord enough to even try it out. You want to see God do something awesome? Be bold enough to call on him to do something awesome. Huh? Be, be audacious enough. I mean, let's go back to just the lies. You remember a few weeks ago when, when, he, when he went to that widow's house and he said, woman, get in there and fix me something to eat. 
Right. You remember that kind of audacious faith? And she said, I ain't really got enough to fix me and my son something to eat, more or less anything else. And, and, and he did it and she did it and he did it. And she did it. And it went on and it went on and went on for about 18 months. Right. She, she, she changed her whole view of this guy at the end. She said, what faith must he have had? That was before he laid on her son three times to call him back from dead, right, by the way. Right? So he already had set the tone with audacious faith so that he could raise the bar just a little bit more and do some more. All right? If, you, if you're not willing to do the little stuff, man, you ain't never going to get to see dead people rise. You know what I'm saying? I mean, think about it. If we're not, we're not willing to ask for somebody to make us breakfast, what makes you think you can call on a dead body to get up? Right? Some of y'all want the big, but y'all ain't willing to go through the other stuff. All right, I don't even know where I was at in Hebrews 11. Let's get back to it, though. Huh? Flames escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies. Women. Oh, man. Women are allowed to be mentioned in this thing? Yes, you knuckleheaded people who do not think so. Right? Women reverted back to, to their dead, raised life again. So they saw the same stuff. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings. Maybe this was this guy, right? Because you know he got stoned. Right? While others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. There he is. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of such people. Man, can you imagine God writing that about you? This is a pretty cool world we live in. I ain't gonna lie. But could you imagine like him writing somebody years from now and saying the world wasn't even worthy to have you? Right? That's what he's saying about these guys and their faith, right? Maybe I should ask it this way for you. For, for, for This is a little simple, right? Do we have a line in the sand for what's not for sale in our lives? And if you've got, see, the first thing is making the line. And if you got the line, are you bold enough to at least follow that line? Some of us want to see how close we can get to the line most of the time, right? He wouldn't sell his inheritance because it would displease God. His spiritual integrity begins with a desire to please God. Notice his immediate response. It's not, man, my dad would be mad because he left this to me when he died. Right? Or my cousins or my brothers or my kids or whatever. It's none of that. It's the Lord. Capital L-R-D. So he's calling on Yahweh. It's Yahweh. It's Abba Father who would not be happy and who would not allow me to do this. His spiritual integrity began with a desire to please God. Some, for the satisfaction of flesh, have sold our spiritual integrity to the enemy. We sold it. We sold it to get something that made us feel good for a moment. You know, the first thing I jotted down when I was, when I was reading through one of the very first times a couple weeks ago was, was, will we protect our inheritance? What well, a minute I wrote that down, the Lord gave me another question. What is my inheritance as his? What is it? You ever think about what your inheritance is as a believer? We, we've talked about it this morning already. Some of you don't even know that's an inheritance. An inheritance is when you can laugh after a, a, a crappy day. It is, that's an inheritance. Because everybody else is going to look at you and be like, what? This cat right here is on crack. There ain't no way he can be laughing about something like that if he's not on some kind of substance. He's on the substance. He's ta- what, what they say in, uh, in Thessalonians, they got addicted to ministry. The same word they use, by the way, is being addicted to a drug. Could you imagine if God's people would get so addicted to doing things in ministry that we were compared to the same word as somebody who's addicted to a drug or alcohol? What if it had the same effects on us? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about because y'all shared on a Wednesday night, right? Think back to when you were addicted to something. I don't care if it was porn, if it was alcohol, if it, if it was drugs, or, or if it, whatever it was. I don't care. But you remember chocolate? <laughs> Reese peanut butter cups. 
I still got two left. I didn't eat them all in one week. I left two right now. Two bags. <laughs> but but think about this, guys. What you remember, like when, when and, I, and some of you think, oh, I'm not a drug addict. You're addicted to something. I don't care if it's a TV show, a soda pop, whatever, right? So you think back to that, and you think about the pull it had on you, right? What if we got that addicted to the Word of God? Where it had a pull on us. Well, like it didn't matter what we was going through, like it sucked us, and, and, and it don't matter the scars or the week or whatever. We could open the word of God and be like, oh, that's what the Lord was doing. And then we can laugh about it. Right? We started testimonies with a, verse, a simple verse everybody knows, right? Be ready to give a proof for the way you are. If you gotta be ready, I mean somebody asked. Now, if you'd have had a bad week and you'd just been sitting over there pouting like uh Ahab's going through here in just a minute, right? Anybody gonna ask you why you are the way you are? Be like, I don't want nothing to do with that guy. All right. I get my own ugly cry going at the house, right? You little snot rockets, keep them over there. Okay? But but if you can have stuff bad going on and still be happy, that's gonna make people wonder, man, I got I gotta check out what in the world this guy's got going on, right? Right? This is this is where we're at. This this is this guy. He wouldn't be willing to sell his inheritance because money couldn't buy what he's truly inherited. You wanna know why money can't got, can't buy what we've inherited when we talk about spiritual inheritance? Because of the price that was paid for it. You know what I'm saying? You're going to tell me money can buy what Christ gave his life for? Ain't no way. So so, so a good attitude, a, a joy, a, a peace, and a weird moment, right? Peace beyond all understanding. These are inheritance things. Some of y'all thinking, well, my inheritance is just eternal life. Man, that's, if that's all you aiming for, you done missed a whole bunch of it. You know what I'm saying? Like you, 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 you think you've aimed for the top, and you've aimed for like the bottom of the barrel, straight up. Because if not, then as soon as I got saved, the Lord would have called me home. That's all it was about, right? It's not about just that. First Peter 1, 18, 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from an empty way of life. Empty way of life. My goodness, I don't remember going back there, right? Handed down to you from your forefathers. But from the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect. That's the price that was paid for your spiritual inheritance. And you're going to be willing to compromise or sell that for a temporary joy of, of, of a moment. And worldly desire, right? The promise of something better, man, ask somebody. It don't always make it better. Promises aren't, are only as good as the one doing the promise. Right? Enemy's gonna promise you a lot of stuff. You know how much of it you can, you can hold on to? About the same amount you can hold on to on Fox News. Right? I told somebody, I only believe about 5% of the news. That's the sports section. Right? You can't fudge a score to a game. Alright? So I'm good on that, right? Nothing could replace what this guy had. Here, here, you just take it, take it a little deeper, right? Or maybe we should ask this. When will man understand that what the world offers is nothing in comparison? Nothing. Jesus looked at disciples, Matthew 16, 26. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? That which is temporary or corruptible can't replace that which is internal. Let's, let's go on. Next scene. What happens when we don't get what we want? Maybe that should be a question you write down for yourself. What do I do when I don't get? Maybe you should ask your spouse. What happens when they don't get what they wanted, right? Verses four through seven. You know what, you know what Ahab does? Remember it? It says Ahab walks back on there to his second palace. I don't know how many palaces the guy actually had, right? But we know at least two. So, so he marches on back to his second palace. He marches upstairs. He faces the wall and falls on the bed and whines. Men. Yeah, what a brat, right? Ladies, y'all correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not gay, okay? But here's one thing I do believe. Men. 
There ain't nothing attractive about a man that's pouting on his bed. Am I right, ladies? Right? Yeah. I can't think of nothing that's least attractive about a manly man than a man that's just going to go pout and cry on his bed because he's got his feelings hurt because he didn't get what he wanted. By the way, if you remember, the guy's got 10 twelfths. I only point out 10 twelfths. I don't need any of you math people to tell me. You should be saying 5, 6 if you use the common denominator factor. Right? 10 twelfths, because what, what did Scripture tell us just, uh, just 5 or 6 chapters ago? Land was divided into 12, right? And 10 of them went to, to, to this one area. So the guy's got 10 twelfths of the kingdom, yet he still ain't happy. He's still pouting. It says that, that Ahab went to his house sullen and displeased. But you remember how chapter 20 ended? He used those same words, sullen and displeased. It seemed like this became a character trait of this guy. Well, you know what? Once you pout once, it becomes easy to pout again. You know what I'm saying? Think about it. And then you pout again, it gets easier to pout again. It gets easy to pout again and pout again. And you just become a powder about everything, right? This little crybaby going on about it, like a little kid who didn't get what he wanted, right? A pathetic adult laying down, lower lip quivering, going on and on, right? Here's where I'm going with all that. Discontentment is a sin that gives its own punishment. Discontentment is a sin that gives its own punishment. He was discontent. If you're not, if you're not happy, if you're discontent, if you're never satisfied, you're never happy. Think about it. Imagine living that way. There's people that live that way. Some of you live that way. You need to wake up and get out of it, man. James 1.15. For after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Man. Desire leads to greed. Greed leads to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, leads to, to death. James chapter 4, which I'm going to come back to at the end, but just in, in, in the beginning right there, it says, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? By the way, he's writing this to his church. So Jesus, the Lord, Abba Father, he inspired James to write this to his own people. So that means like he's got like a, like a, like a secret agent working for the other team in his own church, right? I want to make sure we understand it. Causing quarrels and fights among you. Isn't the whole army of evil desire at war within you? You want what you don't have or you want to get in your own way. You scheme and you kill to get it. So you fight, you quarrel, you take it away from them to get it. The reason you don't have what you want is you don't ask God for it. And when you ask God for it, you still don't get it because your motives are wrong. You don't want it to benefit him or his kingdom. You want it to benefit yourself. I mean, look at the guy. He, he's not wanting this thing. So he, he's not going to open this vineyard and say, this will be our holy juice. We will use it for communion. This is why I want it. No, he said, I want to bulldoze and turn into a vegetable garden because it's something peaceful that I understand how to do, right? You only want what will give you pleasure and make you happy, what James says. Desire leads to greed. Greeds lead to look at verse 7. Now, I don't know what kind of woman this is, this, this Jezebel that we've been talking about, right? But if my wife walked in and saw me kicking and screaming on the bed, facing the wall, I'm not eating nothing, da 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 she'd have shut the door and left. You know what I'm saying? But it, I, I was, yeah. That's why she left from up north to come down and get her southern boy, right? Because she needed a man, right? <laughs> One was going to take care of business when it needed to be taken care of, right? If she walked in, I'd have been acting like one of them little punks, kicking and screaming on the bed. She shut the door. You don't want to eat? Don't eat. You get hungry, you finally come in there and get it, right? But Jezebel, 
Now you got to keep in mind, she's there for the power, okay? She walks in and she realizes that her husband, some of you are thinking, oh, she's a good wife. Nah, she's corrupt. She's mm, something, right? And she says in verse 7 to her, she goes, don't, don't you exercise authority over Israel? She's basically saying, man, aren't you a king? Right? He said, I, I will give you the authority. And I don't know how she gets the authority. This, this is what happens when you lose the pants at your house, okay, man? I'm serious. I'm talking spiritual right now. She said, I'll give you the authority to go get that vineyard from him. Right? Her manner of speech reveals this. Unfortunately, now here, here's, here's this part of the problem we got going on right here. Too many people with power abuse that power to get anything they want. Too many people with power abuse that power to get what they want. She says, I'm going to get it for you. Yeah, we're talking about politicians now, right? So 8 through 14, she makes this plot to, to go murder this guy. She writes letters in Ahab's name, verse 8. She seals them with this seal. This tells us that Ahab knows about this. He's in agreement with this. It's not like something secret that she was doing behind his back. She knows. So, so here maybe is another little lesson for us. Don't listen to the Jezebels in your life. They get you in trouble. Right? Jezebel, and, and here's what we need to understand. I don't know why he's stuck on her anyway. Because she comes from an area that views kings differently than, than, than this area. So her expectations aren't even fair for her husband. Right? It's just, it's just, she, she doesn't realize that there's limits. She doesn't respect God's limits. And because she doesn't respect the limits, her husband then starts not respecting the limits. Paul writes this. Remember, I talk about God's limits. It's, it's the land can't be sold if the, if the buyer don't want to do it, right? Paul writes this in Romans chapter 12. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Remember that you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Remember, we're supposed to be different, man. Right? Don't let the voices of people like Jezebel confuse you. You're from a whole different kind of kingdom. And you're not to be led that way. There's three types of people we see in these verses right here before she plots this plan that we need to look at, right? And not in any detail, just make sure we get the lesson from them. The first one's Ahab. All of them are wicked. Ahab's wicked and weak. He's a pansy, man. He's been a pansy for three chapters, right? I'm just call it like it is, right? I mean, he does something good at the end, so I'm going to give him some credit. But I ain't giving him credit until he earns it, so he don't get it yet. Number two, you got Jezebel. She's wicked, but she's strong. All right? She's wicked and strong. So you got wicked, strong, wicked, weak. Then you got the elders. They're wicked, but they're submissive. I don't care what combination you get. Anything with wicked is wrong. Okay? And that's what leads them to this. Verse 9, she says this. You got to love when worldly people try to sound spiritual, right? I don't know if y'all have ever experienced that. Maybe y'all had. Verse 9, she says, proclaim a fast. Let's make it sound Righteous. Right? You ever seen how nothing is religious until religious can benefit you? Right? I mean, people, they ain't practice nothing religiously in their whole life, and then they can get a benefit from it, so they become the most religious person in the world. That's why I hate the word religious. Think about it. Just let's put, let's put kind of fast. What she's saying is we need a scapegoat, and this guy's about to be it. She, she's even smart enough. Here, here's how bad it is. You're talking about the enemy. The enemy knows a lot of the Lord's law, if not all of it, right? She even does it the right way. She goes, we got to have two witnesses. She says, so you, get, you go get, what's she say? You go get two, what's she call them? Scoundrels. Scoundrels. Right? You know when scoundrels get involved, it ain't no good. Right? You get them, we'll, we'll pay them off. We'll get them to say something. They'll be the two witnesses, right? How, how many things do we make religious in this world that aren't really religious at all? I mean, think about it. I'm talking at all levels, by the way, man. So some of the funny stuff like we we get on people about. 
Now, obviously, I'm not a long hair kind of guy, but you ever like listen to church people talk about kids that's got long hair? Y'all the funniest sounding people in the world when y'all get on that. I'll be honest, because y'all make it sound like it's the like they like they because they got long hair, they're already smoking crack and they're already drinking drinks. And I'm telling you, y'all get crazy about it. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, if I was that 10, 12 year old, I look at you and be like, Jesus had long hair. <laughs> what you gotta say now? Right? Now, I don't have long hair if you can't grow it, but yeah. Anyway, we make so many things religious that ain't religious at all. And I'm not just talking about that. That's just a funny one, right? Music, the same way, or the beat of a music. Now, the, the words in a song can make a big difference, whether it's right or not, right? But, but man, I, I've heard people, like, they'll judge music before they even know what the words in the song are. Right? They make it sound religious, though. Well, the Lord don't want you listening to that stuff. Man, you ought to read the chorus, though. Right? They just talked about Jesus dying for you. Oh, that song he said. Blah, 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 blah. Right? What, you got a verse in your Bible that says the beat of the music changes for what you can listen to? Mine don't. Right? And y'all laugh. Let's go on current time. Some of y'all get all crazy about these masks. But Jesus said, I ain't got to wear a mask. Where? Show me where. Now, y'all see, I don't wear one often either now, so I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, why make something religious that's not religious? I mean, why? You think the Bible needs more of your stuff added to it? I'm, I'm telling you, man, I shouldn't be on the soapbox. But I'm telling you, that's junk. When we start adding stuff to the Lord's word, it's junk. He don't need you to add nothing to it to make it sound better and more and more spiritual or anything else, okay? It's the Lord's. Leave it alone. All right, but that's what she's doing. People are going to follow God's law when it benefits them. Naboth, here's what she accuses me of. Bless me, God bless me, the king, so that's a charge of death. All right? She says, I'm, I'm going to stone this guy over a piece of land. Man, how evil are these guys, right? She's going to kill this guy over a garden. It ain't like she's getting all of it. She just wants the garden of his land. I mean, this is crazy. And if that ain't crazy enough for you, by the way, if you jump to 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 26, this indicates that it was way worse than this chapter is telling us because it says Naboth and his son's sons. They done killed this guy's whole family to get this land, to make sure that there's no heirs, that nobody else can claim it and get this land. So I guess I've been asking the whole time with other characters. And I was last with this character. Do you have a Jezebel attitude? Your spouse just poked you. you know, y'all got an argument when you get home, right? Here's the Jezebel attitude, man. That's the end justifies the means. I'm willing to do anything to get what I want. Right? I deserve, I deserve what I want. There's a lot of Jezebels out there. All that's necessary for the triumph of evil. Y'all heard this quote. All that's necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. See, when I, when I first read this thing, I, I was scratching my head because, like, that seemed too easy for them. That seemed too easy for people to just watch God show up on Mount Carmel, to just watch God win two battles for him. It seemed too easy. But as long as good people do nothing, evil will prevail in this world. Okay? There's sins of commission or sins of omission. 15 through 16, Ahab's happy about it. It takes place. It's done. Uh, Naboth's dead and his family must be dead too. So it says that he got up, verse 16, and went down to take possession of the vineyard. Man, this is evil to evil. Even though the guy's dead, what gives Ahab the right to think he can go down there and take it? Right? You think, well, there was this royal right that said the crown sees executed criminal. Was he really a criminal? Just because that's the way she made it happen. You know what, right? <laughs> Y'all remember that song, Guess Who's Back? Nobody's that unreligious in here. Right? Come on, Mike. Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Right? Come on, man. Don't let me be the only sinner in the church right now. All right. I got two people. I ain't going to call the other one out. 
right? Two people in here knew that song, so we're heathens. Y'all pray for us, right? But but I wrote that. I only point that out for that. I don't even know where I was going with that other than tell you guys this. When I first read this in my notes, I wrote down, guess who's back? <laughs> Elijah's back, right? This guy goes down. He's like a little kid. He just now got his new toy, and he wants to go play with it. So he's on the way down to the to the to the, to the vineyard to destroy it, make it a vegetable garden, right? And guess who shows up? Elijah. Elijah says, man, we ain't talked in a while. I wasn't in the last chapter. Right? And, and, and what's the first thing? This is, this is what I love, man. What's the first thing he does? He calls him out on his wrong. Now, that's kind of the, the uncomfortable part of ministry. Right? When you got to call somebody out on the wrong, but it's needed. Now, you got to do it the right way. You got to do it the right way. But it's a needed part. Now, this whole section, it, it really does two things, depending on where you're sitting today, right? It either unsettles you or it comforts you. If it unsettles you, you're thinking, holy crap, I'm never getting away with nothing. The Lord knows everything. Right? I mean, think about it. The guy done got away. The guy's dead. The guy's family's dead. He's gone to get this land. And then, boom, Elijah shows up and be like, I know what you did. Right? I know what you did last summer. I got you. Right? We turned to singing all kind of movies. Yeah. Right? And he does this. But the other part of it is it comforts you. Because it also lets us know that God's not going to let his people be wronged without getting back and paying back. Right? So Ahab runs down, he gets his new toy, and he runs into Elijah. And Elijah says, verse 19 is where we're at, have you murdered and also taken possession of this land? And they think, well, Elijah didn't do the murdering. Do you, do you remember when Elijah first got up out of his little temper tantrum and he turned around and told Jezebel what happened? He lied. I forgot to mention that. He turned around and he said, I want a neighbor's land and I offered to buy it. And he told me no. Hey, what neighbor told him? What neighbor tell him? His inheritance. He couldn't sell it. Getting to the part of. The Lord said, I can't. The Lord would forbid this. Neighbor wasn't saying, man, I don't, I really want your money. I bet it was, I bet it was kind of tough there for a moment. You know, I, I could use that money, right? But the Lord said no, so I can't do it. But what does he tell Jezebel? He leaves all that out. He leaves all that out when he tells her. So he's already started lying. So he set the tone. Now, I don't think it made a difference because Jezebel's so evil. But, right, he, he's already set this tone going this direction. And he gets confronted about the wickedness that he has, right? But maybe for this morning, you know, you try to give everybody the opportunity to be one of the characters, right? If you didn't want to be a Jezebel or don't want to be a Naboth or an Ahab or any of this, right? But you probably won't be Ahab in a minute. Maybe you're an Elijah that needs to have that talk with somebody. And please, we don't have time to go into it. It's a whole different sermon in itself. Advise yourself on how you do that. Don't be running up nobody and telling them how horrible they are because they committed this sin. That ain't turning nobody around. All right, you know what I'm saying? That, that, that ain't going to do it. All right? So, so, so we get to this thing, and, and maybe that's you then. This would be Cliff writing, by the way. I thought of you, right? <laughs> Elijah's speaking, and he says, You know in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of neighbor? Yeah, them dogs are going to lick your blood, too. Right? <laughs> the dog's gonna be licking your blood too, right? Man, this is rough. This is no this ain't no sugarcoating sermon. Right? He's telling him like it is. He said, I'm, I'm gonna take away verse 21. I'm gonna take away all your stuff. I'm gonna cut off you and I'm gonna cut off every male from your bloodline in the whole country. You imagine talking to a king like this? Right? You imagine like calling out the, the president? And calling him out on the stuff? 
Maybe there wouldn't be so much commotion if somebody would hold him a little bit more accountable. I know he does some good, but man, he's got a rotten mouth too, to be honest with you. Right? I don't need to sugarcoat what it, what it is and isn't. I don't know whichever level, right? And, and the next one would be the same. I guarantee it because they're all the same. Right? We need people who are going to stand up no matter somebody's position and call it like it is. He goes, I'm going to take away this severe judgment. Because the king's legacy would be his succession, his dynasty coming to the end, right? Then he gets to verse 23. And you picture like Jezebel's probably like, oh, thank goodness I finally got away, right? No, the dogs are going to eat her too. Now, I, I hate to jump a couple chapters ahead, but I got to be honest with you guys. Ahab don't die this chapter, so you know that part kind of gets changed. We'll get to it in a minute, right? Jezebel's chilling up in her house, and the enemy attacks, and they go to chase her. And when they chase her, she falls out a window. <laughs> right? She falls down a window. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just got a whole other picture. Thanks to Stacy. Stacy, thank you for your cat illustration, right? So, so Jezebel falls out this window, and I picture maybe the guys looked out and they're like, "Well, she's gone. Let's drink some grape juice, wine. What's wrong with you, right? Let's drink some grape juice and hang out for a minute. Then we'll go down there." And they look out the window again, and there's some dogs done come over. And look out a window again and she's gone. <laughs> That's so wrong. <laughs> it says the dog's gonna eat her, right? He didn't forget about it. Look look at look at Second Thessalonians chapter one. Six and seven. Since it is righteous for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. I don't know if you guys have the same problem I have. I'm just going to be like blunt and honest. I don't get to do my, my Wednesday testimonies. Y'all hear like lots of testimony all through the week, right? I, I sometimes got a problem in my head when we get paid back. Thankfully, I, I'm able, now it's still a sin there, okay? I'm not taking away from the sin, right? But I am able to at least put the brakes on before it gets executed, right? I'm just being honest, right? But this is the attitude I'm supposed to have. I'm righteous because God made me righteous. Not because of anything I did. He made me righteous, right? I get a right standing with God because because I've accepted, I've decided, and I believe, and I'm going to start pulling as much as I can out of this to change everything in my life, right? So I'm righteous for God. I need to have the mindset that God's going to play, pay, repay affliction for those who afflict me. You imagine that the stress that relieves. Like, dude can talk trash, and I might want to punch him in the mouth, but I don't have to because God's going to give me something out, right? He's probably going to have a flat tire on the way home. Right? And then he's got to come buy a tire for me. Like, God's really going to get it, right? Uh, just giving you ideas, Lord, in case you didn't have any. Right? And to, it goes on, though. It goes on. And to reward with rest, you who are afflicted. Y'all ever been just tired of dealing with people and their stuff? Y'all ain't got to pay. Leave your religious mask on and just raise your hand if you're there, right? Like, I know some of you got that mask and you're like, no, I love helping people all the time. It's a great, yeah, right, suck it up, right? Reward you with rest, those that have had to deal with afflicted people, right? Those that have been afflicted, those that have been going through it, you know, all the way around for however long. I'm going to reward you with rest along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with this powerful angel. This is God's promise to his people. You don't have to worry about it because I'm going to take care of it, right? And before we get to the end, verse 25 and 26, just some of you are thinking like, like you don't understand. Like you're thinking, 
Some of y'all are afraid to give a testimony because you're afraid of what we'll think about you, right? Right? I think, I think no matter how awesome your testimony or, or unawesome or whatever you want to call it, I think it's glory for the Lord. So I really don't care who it's about. You know what I'm saying? Like however big, however small, like it's for God to get glory, not for anybody else. All right? So, so when we get to 25 and 26, we get reminded of something right before. It's almost like God knew what was going to happen, right? So 25, it says there was no one like Ahab. Y'all remember a couple of chapters ago, it said he was the most wicked of all the kings that have ever lived. Right? It just got worse for years there. This guy was more wicked than him. This guy was more. We get Ahab and it's like, this was the most wicked guy you've ever met. If you think you're the most wicked guy or if you think someone out there is the most wicked person in the world, here's what scripture says, right? It goes on about him though. To do more wickedness in the sight of the Lord. You know what that verse is saying? It's talking about young, dumb teenagers. Not, not really. But, but any, anybody used to like do a lot of stuff and you got away with it? Or am I the only one? What'd you get away with? <laughs> We're going to talk after church. Right? You better be at the altar, right? I used to be real good at getting away with stuff. I'm just telling you like it is. Y'all dumb teenagers now, y'all can't get away with nothing. They post it. Hey, look at what I'm doing. Right? A lawyer got fired from charging the state house the other day because he's taking pictures of himself. That's a guy who's got a matter or doctor's degree. It's a doctor's degree to get a lawyer, right? So he's got a he's got four years uh bachelor's. He got another two years for a master. If he skipped that stage, then he just went another three years. This guy's got seven years of education, and he's still uh, look at what I'm doing. <laughs> Monday morning, want to know why he got fired. Right? Y'all can't get away with nothing because y'all ain't good. No, we're not supposed to be bragging about being good, but man, this is what this verse is saying. It's saying he, there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to wickedness and the sight of the Lord. It's saying he's so evil now, he's doing it blatantly right in front of God. Now, some of y'all, when you were real good at hiding and you didn't change, see, the rest of us that raised our hands, we was changed. Right? Y'all was ashamed to, y'all, just being honest, y'all was ashamed to raise your hands because you ain't changed. Right? So for you guys, you've done good. Right? Now you're just doing it in front of the Lord. Like it's no longer even trying to hide it. P.S. You wouldn't hide nothing from the Lord anyway, right? Right. But this, this is where Ahab's at. It says Ahab gets so we can start doing it in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel's wife stirred him up. What's your wife stirring you up to do? Or just so we can appear to both people, right? What's your spouse stirring you up to do? Huh? Think about it. Ahab's sin gets multiplied, not because of the sin itself, but because of by his permission. He gave his wife permission to do this. Remember what uh, what God said to Adam? Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, in the Garden of Eden, right after uh, sin entered, it says, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. Well, apparently, God holds husbands accountable who follow their wives into sin. He's looking for strong men. God's not looking for weak men. He's not looking for powders. He's looking for men that are going to stand up and call it like it is. Right, right, wrong, wrong. Draw a line in the sand and not cross it. Then, then this is going to, up until this, the, the first word I wrote was surprise, just so you know where I'm going, right? Up until this, I was like, yeah, I kind of expected. It's kind of what I expected, right? Elijah calls somebody out for sin, that's about right. Ahab's evil, Jezebel's evil, that's about right. 
kind of stuff that dude and his whole family had to die. But I could see with all the evil going on, like that's what happens, right? I love this ending, man. I love it. 27. This this is gospel right here. I mean, it's, some of y'all think gospel is only in the in the New Testament. You, you've missed it because this is it right here. Look, look at verse 27. And tw- through 29. I'm going I'm to read it again just because it's been a while since Jeremiah read it, right? Ahab heard about these words. He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth over his body, and fasted. Well, hold on now. They just fasted earlier. What did they fast earlier for? Selfish gain. Keep in mind, right? They fasted to, to, to make no... Uh, they both scapegoat, right? So it's so a selfish gain. Now, now he's fasting, but now he's also broken. He stripped his clothes off. He's put on sackcloth over his body. And he's fasting. He laid down in sackcloth and he walked around subdued. Verse 28. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite. (laughs) Look at 29. This is cool. First of all, how cool would it be to have a conversation with God, right? So that in itself is cool. So like Elijah's sitting there and he's actually having a conversation with Abba. And daddy says, have you seen Ahab? Could you imagine God talking about you this way? Think about this. Yeah. One of your prized things when you do sports or, or school or whatever it is that you're on stage for. That prize moment, I think for any kid at least at some moment, right? Is to know that like their dad or their mom or their parent was looking at them. I know, boy, as soon as we get in the car after the game, Dad, you see this? Dad, you see this? Dad, you see that? Dad, you see this? Dad, you see that? I saw most of it. I didn't get to see it all, right? Not happening. This is Abba looking at Elijah. Imagine Elijah. Elijah's got to be spiritually strong, too, guys. Because at this point, he's got to really hate Ahab. I mean, you know, if he's me, I know he's more holy than me, so he's not, right? If I'm, if I'm Elijah, I don't like Ahab very much. So if God would have told me, hey, Elijah, did you see your like 28th cousin down the line, Ahab? I'd have been like, yeah, I saw how evil he was. But but he doesn't even get that. Look, look at it. Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? This is a proud daddy, man. Right? This is a proud daddy. Now, you, you got to understand, like, he ain't got a spotlight position like Elijah. You're thinking like you got to be, you know, taking the sports again. You're thinking like your boy's got to be the running back. No, I know everybody on that field's got a job to do, so I'm watching my boy's job, right? No different than when I played. Like a fullback's primary job back in the day, it wasn't no running the ball every now and then, but the primary job was knocking that linebacker out the way so the tailback could get all the glory. And, and I, didn't, I didn't even really look in the stand a whole lot when I scored a touchdown, but if I knocked the linebacker on his butt, I looked in that stand, Right? Because I knew that's what my, my daddy cared more about a linebacker getting knocked down than me getting in the end zone, I promise you. Right? So like, when that little thing happened, and this is it. Ahab's not the star player. He's not the preacher. He's the most wicked dude ever. And Abba's looking back, and Abba says, do you see how the most wicked, what y'all call him, a brat, the brattiest son I got, just humbled himself. And he's, he's inside cheering, man. He's cheering so much. Verse 29, don't stop here. It says, I, this is God speaking. I, I'm not going to bring disaster during his lifetime anymore. Hold on, God. You just, you just, pro, you just told me, this is Elijah speaking. 
God, you just told me to prophesize that that guy was going to be wiped off the planet so much that his own bloodline was going to be wiped off the planet. And God says, get it, man. This is the only thing that ever, oh, it's cool. God says, yeah, but his repentance has made me change my mind. Not change my mind in the prophecy because he follows through. I'm not going to do it in his lifetime because he's humbled himself before me. I will bring disaster on his house during his son's lifetime. I'm still going to do what I said I'm going to do. But I'm not going to start it with him because he just repented. You want to get God's attention? Try repentance. Huh? Some of the most, quote unquote, holy people in the world out there trying to get God's attention, doing big stuff and doing this and doing that and sounding this way and sounding this way. And they're still thinking, man, I don't have God's attention. I don't know why, because they hadn't truly repented yet. I don't know her standing before the Lord. But me and my wife were discussing some things this this past week on another message that we, we just listened to. And, and it brought up Mother Teresa. I said, you know how Mother Teresa started? I said, no, I, I don't, baby, but you're Google, so I know you know. So just, just share it with me, Google. And, and she said, she goes, all she did was she, she had went to whatever country it was, and she started just getting kids to come, and she was teaching them. Like, that was it. It wasn't no, like, big organization. It wasn't no name flashing. It wasn't no cool signs. It wasn't call me St. Mother Teresa. It was it was. Kids that had a need and somebody that went to meet it. God's not always looking for us to do the big thing. But he is looking for us to do the right thing. Maybe he's just looking for us to do anything for some of you. You know what I'm saying? I'm serious, man. I think that's some of the problem. I, I, I told Jeremiah the other day, man. You know, we were talking about all the, all the crap going on and rules changing and some of the messages I get from, from some of y'all out there about, you know, what, what does this mean for the future? And, and should I should I be afraid of this? And, and should I be afraid of that? I'll be honest, if the government can stop your faith, your faith is weak. I'll tell you right now, if the government shuts this building down, we'll do just like they did in the Old Testament. Y'all meet me at the house. I don't need a building. I don't need a church. I don't need a, a location. I don't need land. I don't need a deed that, that says all this. We don't need no cool signs. I can put Facebook right there at the house and we still do live stream and we can preach right there at the house like the original church did. Be quite honest, some churches probably need to be shut down. Right? I don't even know where I was going now. Y'all done got me on a whole different thing. Now, what's wrong with y'all? <laughs> This is supposed to be a short sermon, right? Great. <laughs> Cliff told us Wednesday night he used to waste an hour of his time at church. Now he comes here, he wastes an hour and a half. <laughs> Ahab was a great <laughs> who won great mercy through great repentance. My point is this, man, going about, going about what the scripture said. No matter how rough you are, how rough somebody else is, if you, if you, if you're so, if you're so holy, this doesn't relate to you. I don't care how rough somebody else is, it don't disqualify them from the grace of God. It says at this point, this was the most evil guy to this time, right? And yet God still gave him an opportunity for repentance. He took it and it changed God's mind, right? No matter how evil he was, he still had the opportunity to repent. Repentance is the only thing that I believe will get God to change his mind, right? Look at it. Get God's attention. Repent. God will never ignore repentance. And the only thing that stands in the way of repentance is your pride. That's it. That's the only thing 
That's the only thing that will stand in the way of repentance. You, you, we need a lifestyle of repentance, not a moment of repentance. Right? And it's necessary because of sin. Now, we don't like to use that word a whole lot anymore. We're like, well, it was a mistake. It was a, it was a slip up. Biblically speaking, it's called a sin. And, and here's what sin does. And this is kind of a neat picture for you if you've never really thought about it this way, right? Repentance, one, is a hope for reversal of circumstances. That's a cool definition of it. Repentance is a hope for a reversal of circumstances. Well, what's the circumstances, right? Sin. What does sin do? Sin separates us from God. Now, now, the more sin you have, guess what that means? The further away from God you are. That makes sense? That's why, like, not, not more saved or unsaved. Forget all that crap, okay? Your little theology and doctrinal arguments. I'm not down with any of that crap. Let's just take the Bible for what the Bible says, okay? So, but, but, but the further away you get, that's just your relationship with God. Right? No different if, like, you don't address an argument with your spouse, and then you have another argument, another argument, another argument, but you, you way away, away. Address them, you know, before they get 25 of them so that you don't get far away. Right? Same thing with your kids or, or friends or coworkers or whatever else, right? So sin separates us. The consequences of sin is what fills that gap. So you've got a gap now. You've said you've separated yourself from God and all the consequences of what's filling in that gap. Then you get this word repentance. Real, real quick, just, just three lessons and I'm going to read James 4 and we're done, right? Ingredients for repentance. One, a recognition of sin. You don't recognize you did anything wrong. Guess what you ain't never going to do? Repent. Y'all, y'all laugh all you want to, man. Y'all talk about them Reese's peanut butter cups. Somebody opened the box. But serious now. I'm, I'm not playing. <laughs> I'm playing Maurice Peanut Butter Cups, right? I come home and somebody opened my big box of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. The dude got me, right? I want to know who opened that box. Because there's other Reese's Peanut Butters that you will eat first because they're not in that box. Right? We will do it in order and we will do it right. My kingdom. Right? Thought for sure one of the kids did it. Want to take a guess after I put my foot in my mouth who opened the box? She don't even like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. What was she opening the box for? So that was the question I asked. Except for where I made the mistake was I asked it just like I just now said it. What was you opening the box for? Tell you, you ain't got a perfect pastor. You better find another church if you're looking for one, right? Call it like it is. So she got mad about that. Well, once I realized it was her, nah, I just said, why would you do that? She said, I wanted to see what was in the box. I said, what do you think's in a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup box? Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. 25 minutes later, she's still mad at me. I don't have a clue why. I'm being honest, guys. Men are dumb. Right? I'm already like washing dishes and like doing my normal stuff on a, on a Saturday before I relax to, to, to get into my, my final preparation of notes and all. Like, you know, I'm just sitting there and she's still angry. I said, what are you mad about? The way you talk to me. I didn't like the way you asked it. I just asked, what you think was in the box? And she said, that's it right there. You did that right there. 
was asking an honest question. What did you think was in the box? Evidently, the way I asked it was wrong. Here's where we get smart. So men are dumb. We all agree. But men can be trained. We can. We can be trained. So I said, this is a 20-minute conversation after all that, right? That's the kids. We kicked them all out the house so we could have a real conversation because they kept wanting to come in and ask questions about Reese Peanut Butter Cups. Don't bring it up. You don't talk to a crackhead about crack. You don't talk to a piece of peanut butter cup. You know what I'm saying? There goes. So 20 minutes, we're talking about this. I had to understand. <laughs> Seriously. I had to understand what I did wrong. Because I wasn't going to apologize until I knew what I did wrong. Now, now I'm, no, I'm, I'm being serious now. Some of you guys think that's me. I'm being dead serious. Why would you men, you sometimes you do that and that's what gets you in trouble. Seriously. You apologize. You don't even know what you apologize for. So you do it again and you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. Right. I, I won't do that. Like I will know what I now I will apologize once I figure it out. And I did. Right. But I had to get a recognition of the wrong before I could admit I was wrong. So step number one is easy. Recognition of sin. I got to understand this goes against God's standard. Once you realize it, here's what happened to Ahab. You get remorse over what you recognized. Repentance. Recognize rec- recognition of sin. Remorse over what you recognized. Uh, I think it's Isaiah. Don't hold me to it because I didn't write it down. But scripture calls it a godly sorrow. That means you're not like worldly. I'm sorry I got my hand caught in the Reese Peanut Butter Cup box. I'm sorry I broke God's heart. Like, I'm sorry daddy's not proud of me. I, I don't know if y'all ever got to the stage I was at. Like, I thought it was going to be cool when I quit getting beatings. Do y'all even get beat? My kids get beatings. I don't know if y'all still beat y'all's kids. Right, we still beat them. But I always thought, like, it'd be a cool thing. Yes, call DSS. I don't care. Tell them, come on over. I'll beat them, too. Right, so... <laughs> It ain't that bad, I promise. Right? So, so I always thought it was going to be cool. And I was like, yeah, I'm getting older now. Like, they ain't going to beat me no more. Right? Man, I remember like that first conversation my mom and dad had with me, like calling me out on something. I was like, can I just get like the beating? Like, you just feel like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you feel like crap afterwards, man. You're like, dang, the beating was like 20 minutes of a butt sting and like it was over. Now I got to sit here and think about these words you just told me for like the next two weeks. Right? It sucked. Right? But that was it. Like a godly sorrow. Like, I'm sorry I broke daddy's heart. Right? That's it. So so recognition of sin, remorse over what you recognize, and then a decision to reverse it. Now, some of us will make it the first step. We'll even make it to the second step. But if you don't make a decision to reverse it, you haven't repented. Okay? If you haven't made a decision to start following his word, you haven't done it. Right? Do something to demonstrate it. Scripture over and over when it talks about repentance, it uses the word return. Return to me so I can return to you. Return to me so I can return to you. That's what the Lord says a lot of times, right? You get to James chapter 4. We looked at it earlier. I told you it was last verse, so you ought to have like a relief sign or whatever going on right now, right? James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, But he gives greater grace. Anybody can use some greater grace? I'm serious. Like, that's what it says. Greater grace. Like, you, 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 you beyond like, like, you get the extra large grace. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is awesome. And you only had to pay 50 cents to upgrade it, right? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God, resist the proud. I told you that was the number one thing to get you in trouble. But he gives grace to the humble. you got to humble yourself, right? Therefore, this is big, man. Please get this. If nothing, if you get nothing else today, I want you to get this last part. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Y'all do this in the wrong orders. So I want to make sure you get it. Like, I've been resisting the devil all week, and he's still back there, right? Because you didn't submit to God first. 
You can't resist the devil on your own. The devil will whoop your butt if you let him. Right? But once you get, that's why it says first, submit to God, then resist the devil. Once you get God on your side, oh, it's over then, right? It's over. So, so let's put this in a picture. Right? Get ready with this last song. You're on the interstate. Driving down the interstate, you're going to wherever you're going. I don't know where you're going, right? You realize that you made the wrong turn. Now you've got a decision to make, right? You're going the wrong way down the interstate. What's your decision? Or what, what's, your, what's your decision you got to make? i got to turn around, right? Now, some of y'all are good law-abiding citizens, and y'all will wait to the next exit. God bless your little souls. Some of us drive F-150s on 40s, and we ain't got to do that. But you know, the longer you wait to turn around, the longer you got to drive back in the other direction. Some of y'all are riding down the interstate, and you realize you've been going the wrong direction, and you still ain't got the exit to turn around yet. I'm telling you right now, like every exit has got a flashing sign that's saying God's grace, God's mercy, repentance, turn around right here. And you just keep on driving past them. The quicker you turn around, the less consequences of that sin as you've been separated from God, right? Makes sense. Y'all ever been on a big trip? You know, you ever notice how long it takes to get there? Oh, man, it takes forever to get there. But when you're coming back home, you ever notice how much faster it seems? Same miles, same roads. But when you're on the way back home, think spiritually, guys. When you're on the way back home, oh, man, it don't seem like it's that long to get there. Right? That's daddy. That's daddy with arms open wide for the repentant son that got his attention, that turned around. And not, not only, not, see, some of y'all take the exit. If you take the exit and just sit there, what happens? nothing it's a full process i'm sick of everybody thinking like this is a one oh it's just one step no the church has been lying for years it is not one step it is a lot of steps it's one step in the right direction to get it going but man please don't think like oh i'm done i took the one step man you're missing it you got to take you got to go back over the overpass that grace overpass you know, take grace overpass and get back on an exit that says the right way, Lord's way, or whatever exit you want to call it, right? And then you got to go. And if you're like me, you were so mad that you've been going the wrong direction, you're speeding back in the right direction. So it's real fast. Let's get on God's track with repentance, man. You imagine the joy that would bring to Abba's heart when he sees us put on that blanker to take that exit to turn it around. You imagine how much more joy it gets when we finally get back on it and we're headed in the right direction and we ignore all those other sidetrack things that we're trying to get us to take those, you know, the Wendy sign and the, and the Chick-fil-A sign and the McDonald's sign and the Dunkin' Donuts sign. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you got to resist all that. Head down the interstate in the right direction. Let's pray. Father God, I love you so much, God. God, I'm so grateful for the whole chapter, Lord God, but personally this morning I just love the ending. I love, Lord God, how you, you set us up to, to let us realize the truth of, of how evil desire and greed can get us. But God, I wondered last week why you had so much grace 
And now I see this week, it's because you knew all he needed was just a little more. It's just a little more. God, I pray for the person here that just needs a little bit more grace. God, I pray that we don't have to suck you dry of it, Lord God. But I know I know some of us are some of us just in a state where we need a little more grace and a little more mercy. And I'm grateful that you keep on giving it. I'm grateful that you are patient, Lord God. And Lord, I pray this morning, God, that, that we put ourselves in whichever character in this chapter that we are, Lord God. God, if if we need to draw a line in the sand like David, Lord God, and hold on to our inheritance and tell the enemy to get on. Lord God, wake us up to see that. God, if we've been letting desire and greed fudge a bunch of lines, Lord God, on what's right and what's not right. God, open our eyes to see it. God, if we need to stop the advice of Jezebel's out there and plug our ears up, help us to stick the earplugs in. And God, if we are Ahab and we finally received that last bit, Lord God, help us in the process of repentance. Help us to not only recognize sin for what it is, but to admit that it is what you say it is. And get us back on a path, Lord God, following you. Thank you, Lord God, for your grace and your mercy. God, we didn't read it, but in that same chapter of James 4, I love where your word says in verse 8, Lord God, that, that, that if we would come near to you, you would come near to us. And Lord, that's what I'm asking right now, God, that you will come near to your people who are coming near to you. We can get this thing rolling, Lord God. In your great name we pray. Amen.